Section number 54 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Naomi Brewster, Melbourne, Australia. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book number 8, Chapter 3. Part six Spheres of Action Protestantism In the seventeenth century scattering cases continue to occur from time to time among Spaniards, but their treatment indicates that there was no longer felt the necessity of making examples. Fray Juan Gonzalez de Cavallal, a Benedictine who had been expelled from his order for repeated escapes, embraced Calvinism which he confessed in France and obtained absolution. Again he confessed it judicially in the Roman Inquisition, and yet again in the Toledo Tribunal, and was reconciled. Then, in 1622, he was tried in Valladolid, where he told all this freely, but with such signs of repentance that the consulted de Fay voted only to reconcile him in a public auto, with ten years of galley service and perpetual prison. While waiting an auto, he sought an audience and confessed that he had again relapsed. There was no choice now but to sentence him to degradation and relaxation, but the Suprema mercifully modified this to reading his sentence in the audience chamber, where his San Benito was to be removed, perpetual deprivation of his functions as deacon and lifelong imprisonment. There was less disposition to mercy in 1630 in the case of Maria Gonzalez, widow of Petro Marino of Canica, one of the exceedingly rare instances of a Spanish female Protestant. To the Valladolid tribunal she freely confessed her belief and persisted in it, despite earnest and prolonged efforts to undeceive her. There was no escape from condemning her to relaxation, and the Suprema confirmed the sentence, but whether it would have been executed cannot be told, for persistent labours were crowned with success. She was finally converted, and the sentence was changed to reconciliation. There may have been subsequent cases of Spaniards relaxed for Protestantism, but I have not met with them. In 1678, Thomas Costellanos was kindly sent to an insane hospital by the Tribunal of Toledo. In 1718, Pedro Ortiz of Valencia was reconciled with perpetual prison in the Cordova Auto of April 24th and, in that of November 30, 1722 at Seville, Joseph Sanchez of Cadiz appeared as a Calvinist and Lutheran and was reconciled with irremissible prison. The Augustinian Fray Manuel Santos de San Juan, better known as Beracosa, would, in the 16th century, have been burnt as an undoubted Lutheran, although when arrested in 1756, it was merely as a regalista or upholder of the supremacy of the state. His Inseo dia Teatro de Roma, circulated in manuscript, was an essay to prove this, in a manner highly offensive to the hierarchy, 
and for this he was relegated for ten years to the strict convent of Risco. During his confinement he wrote tracts to prove that Rome was Babylon, that the existing church in no way resembled that of the apostles, that there should be no order higher than the priesthood, that capital punishment for heresy as in itself a heresy, and other doctrines which no calificador could help qualifying as the rankest Lutheranism. But Beracosa was not relaxed. Although he found associates to copy these heretical documents and circulate them, when his ten years' confinement ended in 1767, he was again strictly secluded in a cell, from which, in 1768, he managed to escape, eluding pursuit until, in January 1770, he was recaptured and delivered to the Toledo Tribunal. Here he underwent a second trial, resulting in a sentence of confinement for life in the convent of Saria, Galicia, where he was to be kept incommunicado. This case illustrates why, during the decadence of the Inquisition, we hear little or nothing of Protestantism among Spaniards, although the spirit of persecution was unabated. Revolt against ultramontanism was no longer styled Lutheranism, but Regalism or Jansenism. With those whose dissidents went beyond discipline to dogma, it took the shape of the fashionable philosophy of the period and became naturalism or philosophism, deism or atheism, as the case might be. The Inquisition still did its work with more or less rigour, but the arena had shifted. While thus there had been little tendency to Protestantism among natives, since the inconsiderable outbreaks of 1558, foreigners furnished an ample field of labour. Spain had a reputation for wealth which rendered it attractive to the stranger. Its people held in contempt the arts and crafts in which Frenchmen and Flemings and Italians were adepts, and its internal peace seemed to offer a refuge to those whose industries were precarious in the incessant clash of arms through which the old order of things gave way to the new. Consequently, every city in Spain had a considerable population of foreigners, intent on earning a livelihood without much thought of spiritual matters. Some trials in the Toledo Tribunal, about 1570, allude to French and Flemish printers, then under arrest in Toledo, Barcelona, Alcala, Salamanca, Valladolid, and Granada. In 1600, the Count of Benaventi, Viceroy of Valencia, estimated the number of Frenchmen there at fourteen or 15,000, and added that there were vast numbers in Aragon. While many of these were undoubtedly Calvinists, seditiously concealing their faith, the majority were Catholics, more or less sincere, but even their orthodoxy was not of a quality to suit the Spanish standard. They had been accustomed to live in contact with heretics. They had no such fanatical horror of heresy as was universal in Spain, and they were apt to be careless in the observances which the Spaniard regarded as indispensable. All foreigners were thus subjects of suspicion, and the Catholic was as liable to arrest as the Calvinist. 
Jacques Zakari, a dealer in rosaries and images in Burgos, in 1637, chanced to be relating his adventures with the heretics in France, who, in examining his baggage, had said, let him take these wares to Spain and bring us back good money, when one of his hearers expressed surprise that the most Christian king would let heretics dwell in his land. This led Jacques patriotically to defend them as good baptised Christians who lived righteously according to their law. He was asked how they could be Christians when they did not go to Mass and confess to priests, when in the heat of discussion he replied that there was not scriptural command of sacramental confession. For this he was denounced to the Valladolid Tribunal. He was arrested and tried and all his property was sequestrated. It is no wonder, therefore, that the tribunals were kept busy with these cases and that the records are full of them, especially under the crown of Aragon, owing to the propinquity of southwestern France, where Huguenotism was in the ascendant. In Saragossa, the relaxations for Lutheranism from 1546 to 1574, though amounting to only seven, were all of Frenchmen. Barcelona was more active. In an auto of May 16, 1561, there appeared for Lutheranism seven Frenchmen, one Piedmontese and one Maltese. In that of July 11, 1563, there were 34 Frenchmen, two Italians and two Catalans, of whom eight Frenchmen were relaxed in person and three in effigy. In that of March 5th, 1564, there were 28 Frenchmen, two Catalans and one Swiss, of whom eight Frenchmen were relaxed in person and two in effigy. From a report by Dr. Zurita of his visitation in the summer of 1564, we obtain a glimpse of how these autos were fed. At Perpignan, for Lutheranism, five persons were arrested with sequestration of whom four, and possibly all five, were French. At Castilian de Amporias, Maestri Marquian, a Frenchman, was sent to Barcelona for trial. Jean de Aclin, a Frenchman of Aldas, escaped arrest by flight, and the arrest was ordered of Pierre Bayrach, a Frenchman of Flassa. When, simultaneously with this, the ambassador St. Sulpice complained to Philip II of the cruelty exercised on his fellow countrymen, who were peaceably plying their industries without creating scandal. The king coolly replied that the Inquisition acted without regard to persons, but nevertheless he would speak with the Inquisitor-General. The complaint of cruelty was justified in the rebuke which the Suprema administered to the Tribunal of Barcelona in 1568, as a result of de Soto Solsa's visitation, allusion was made to a case in 1565 of a Frenchman named Anton Eimerich, arrested without evidence. His first audience was held at his own request February 23rd, the second on July 27th, when, without more ado, he was tortured and sentenced to reconciliation and confiscation. In another case of a Frenchman, Armand Jacobat, he was tortured without confession, but subsequently admitted some Lutheran errors, 
begging for mercy and desired to be converted, in spite of which he was relaxed and burnt, for which the Suprema held the tribunal to be gravely in fault. What became of those not burnt is seen in a report of December 1566 to Charles the Ninth by his ambassador M. de Fortequa, that seventy poor Frenchmen, prisoners of the Barcelona tribunal, had been condemned to the galleys and had been delivered in November to Don Alva de Bazan, who had taken the fleet to Winton near Cadiz. In February 1567, he writes that, on complaint to the Duke of Alva, the letter had assured him on his honour that they were all dogmatising Huguenots, that Frenchmen were never arrested for Protestantism if they had not said or done something scandalous. This was as mendacious as the repeating promises to release the galley slaves, which were always evaded until Fortequart recommended the seizure as a hostage at Narbonne of Andrea Doria, the naval commander-in-chief. At last, on December 20th, he reported the sending of royal letters to Doria to release them, but it is fairly questionable whether the order was obeyed. Again, in a list of complaints made by Charles IX to Philip, there was one concerning five of his subjects arrested in Havana and sent to Seville for trial, to which Philip replied that he was not accustomed and did not desire to interfere in such affairs, but nevertheless he would have the Inquisitor-General requested to order the tribunal to dispatch these cases with all speed. A more pleasing international episode is connected with the case of Robert Fitzwilliam, an Englishman, condemned by the Seville Tribunal to ten years of galleys and perpetual prison. He was received on board February 25, 1578, and in November 1582, his wife, Ellen, presented herself in the court of Madrid with a letter from Queen Elizabeth to Philip II, representing that the poor woman had beseeched her interposition and that the liberation of the husband would be a favour which she would be glad to reciprocate. Under any other jurisdiction, the granting of such a royal request would have been a matter of course, but the assent of the Holy Office had to be secured. The existing papers fail to inform us of the result, but that it was favourable can scarce be doubted, for the devotion of the faithful wife made a strong impression even on the hardened officials, whose correspondence alludes to her in terms of respect and admiration. More summary was the process when, in 1572, the Barcelona Tribunal sent a commissioner into French territory on some duty, and he was seized and held as a hostage for a Frenchman arrested by the tribunal, leading to an exchange of prisoners. The Val de Andorra furnished another source of international questions, for the Barcelona Tribunal claimed jurisdiction over it, while Jeanne d'Albret, as Queen of Navarre, held that it was her fife. In 1572, she put a French vigour there to administer justice, whereupon the inquisitors commenced to gather information about him as a presumable Huguenot and the Suprema ordered them to arrest him if sufficient evidence could be found, 
but as the attempt was likely to prove dangerous it need not be made unless the viceroy would furnish a sufficient guard which apparently he declined to do all foreigners thus were objects of suspicion and the jurisdiction of the inquisition was stretched to the utmost to prevent their infecting the faithful in fifteen seventy two the suprema ordered the tribunals of aragon catalonia and valencia to see that no frenchmen were employed as teachers of reading and writing anywhere within their districts experience having shown the dangers thence arising intercourse with foreigners was dangerous and was discouraged in fifteen sixty eight inquisitor morel in reporting a visit to san sebastian expressed a desire to punish those who received and entertained and had particular friendship in dealings with french and english strangers sometimes even giving them information enabling them to escape arrest on all of which the suprema commented by characterizing these as grave cases which should have been sent to la Grofio for trial the spaniard too who went abroad was an object of suspicion and was held to strict accountability for his acts during his absence in the barcelona auto of june twenty first sixteen twenty seven there appeared a merchant of marisa who while in france had listened to huguenot preaching and had eaten flesh on friday for which he was penanced in a thousand ducats and was recluded in a convent for three years but under these influences coupled with the growing poverty of spain and the curse of its debased currency the number of resident foreigners diminished greatly after the opening of the seventeenth century may be assumed from the reduction in the cases of protestantism in the records those of toledo from fifteen seventy five to sixteen ten show a total of forty seven of which the last one occurred in sixteen o one while those from sixteen forty eight to seventeen ninety four contain only eleven in valladolid the reports of twenty-nine years between sixteen twenty two and sixteen sixty two show only eighteen cases in the madrid tribunal from seventeen o three to seventeen fifty one there is only a single case of a huguenot in the sixty-four autos celebrated by all the tribunals between seventeen twenty one and seventeen twenty seven there are only three cases in valencia between seventeen o five and seventeen twenty six there was but a single case a calvinist who spontaneously denounced himself scattering and imperfect as are these statistics they suffice to indicate how rapidly the number of foreign delinquents fell off after the year sixteen hundred and that this was not the result of progress in enlightenment and toleration we shall see hereafter it was simply that the inquisition had succeeded in its efforts to limit intercourse between spain and its neighbours and to isolate it from european civilization if this was the case in regard to nations presumably catholic we can readily conceive how much greater vigilance was exercised towards those which had lapsed into heresy commercial intercourse with them was unavoidable but it was a necessary evil 
to be restricted within the narrowest limits by deterrent regulations. For a while, indeed, the heretic trader took his life and fortune in his hands when he ventured to make a Spanish harbour. As we have seen in the case of the good ship Angel, even castaways were legitimate prey of the Inquisition, as was experienced by 17 English sailors of a fishing boat who were captured by a French vessel and were thrown on shore in Fiorte Ventura, one of the Canaries. They were tried and escaped burning by conversion, after which four of them, Richard Newman, Edward Stevens, John Ware and Edward Stride, managed to escape. As this showed them to be impenitent, they were prosecuted in absentia for relapse, and their effigies were solemnly burnt in an auto of July twenty second, fifteen eighty seven. The number of merchant vessels touching at the Canaries, in fact, furnished to the tribunal at one time the major portion of its work. A record of prisoners entered in its secret prison during six months of fifteen ninety three showing thirteen belonging to the german ship san pedro seventeen to the flemish ship la rosa and fifteen to the flemish ship el leon colorado besides a dozen english sailors whose vessel is not specified these comprise all hands officers and crews merchants and passengers and presumably if the cargoes were not confiscated they were effectively looted in the absence of their guardians. That such was the motive, rather than the protection of Spain from the infection of heresy, is inferable from a sentence of the Granada Tribunal in 1574, condemning to reconciliation and lifelong galley service Jean Marino, a Frenchman, resident in Malaga, because he had warned some Protestant sailors not to enter the port of Almeria when there was prospect of a fat confiscation indeed the inquisition paid little respect to the justice of the case or to the parties who might suffer there was a long dispute between rome and madrid over two cargoes of alum which the papal camera was sending to england when the ships were seized and the cargoes sequestrated by the tribunal of seville on the ground that the english crews were heretics this barbarous policy necessarily made itself felt in the cost of foreign commodities, especially after the troubles in the Netherlands had cut off or reduced that portion of the carrying trade. Under this pressure, in 1597, an exception was made in favour of the Hansa. Instructions were issued by the Suprema that, when its ship arrived with merchandise, the persons in them were not to be interrogated about their religion, nor on that account were the ships or cargoes to be sequestrated or confiscated, unless while in port they had offended against the Catholic faith, and in such a case only the property of the delinquents was to be seized. Search, however, for prohibited books was to be made, as was customary with Catholic vessels, there was also an approach to admitting the Dutch in a royal order of February 27, 1603, providing that Holland vessels and crews bearing passports from the Archdukes of the Netherlands were to be allowed entrance to Spanish ports and their persons and property were to be secure. But this was revoked 
December 11, 1604, subject to the 12 months' notice provided in the order. A treaty of peace with England covering this matter was ratified by James I, August I, 1604, and by Philip III, June 16, 1605. During this interval, in November 1604, an English ship with a crew of 20 men coming for a load of corn touched at Messina and then at Palermo. In the latter port, it was visited by the officials of the Inquisition when the men admitted that they were Protestants and wished to live in that faith. They were all arrested and appealed to the Viceroy, the Duke of Feria. He was powerless save to write a private letter in which he declared that the arrest was a disservice to the King and tended to destroy the treaty agreed upon wherefore the inquisition ought to dissemble and treat the heretics well for the public good the inquisitors thereupon assembled ten consultors reaching the conclusion that the englishmen could be liberated only on condition of giving ample security that they would go to spain and present themselves before the inquisitor general for strangers this was a virtual impossibility and it doubtless proved to be so, for in 1605 we hear a certain Englishman, who had been admitted to penance with the San Benito, and required to live for two years in certain monasteries for instruction in the faith. They had contrived to escape, but were tracked and found on board a French ship without their San Benitos. As the tribunal did not care to support them, they were ordered to be distributed separately to monasteries in the mountains far from the sea, where they were for ten years to perform labour without pay. When such irrational cruelty was habitual, international comity and the commercial interests alike demanded that a curb should be placed on the irresponsibility of the Inquisition. Accordingly, in the English Treaty of 1604, Article 21 provided that the vassals of King James, coming to or residing in the Netherlands or Spain, should not be molested or disturbed on account of matters of conscience, so long as they gave no occasion for scandal, and that corresponding instructions should be issued by the King. This Philip did, under the same date of June 15, 1605, ordering that English subjects should not be held accountable for acts prior to their coming to Spain. While in Spain, they were not to be compelled to enter churches, but if entering voluntarily, due respect must be paid to the venerable sacrament, and if it was met on the street, they must kneel, or take another street, or enter a house. If anyone were prosecuted for contravention of these rules, only his own property was to be seized, and not a vessel or cargo, or the goods of others in his charge. And to the observance of all this the king pledged his royal faith and word. The Suprema had previously, December 11, 1604, issued instructions similar to those of 1597 for the Hansa. On July 14, 1605, it transmitted to the tribunals the articles of the treaty, but it seems to have objected to the royal declaration, for it delayed until October 8th, embodying its provisions in a carta acordata. 
this was too reasonable to be acceptable to Spanish fanaticism. Archbishop Roberta, in 1608, varied his efforts for Morisco expulsion with an earnest appeal to the king, expressing the grief which he had never ceased to feel since he heard of the peace with England, fearing, as he did, the offence given to God, which would bring many evils on Spain. His affliction had increased in view of the excesses committed by the English in Valencia, living publicly in their religion and causing great scandal and evil example to the faithful, and at much length and with many instances he proved that peace with infidels was forbidden by holy writ. This memorial was duly considered in the Council of State, when the Comendato Mir of Leon reported the king had ordered the inquisitor-general to be notified so that he might instruct the tribunals to exercise great vigilance and to punish all who gave occasion for scandal when in sixteen o nine the twelve years truce was concluded with the united provinces the dutch naturally claimed the same privileges as the english and these were embodied in article seven of the treaty the Inquisition did not submit quietly to this restriction on its powers, and in 1612 it issued a Carta Accordata, repeated in 1616, asserting that these privileges applied only to transient strangers, and that those who were resident and kept houses were subject to the tribunals in all matters of faith like any Spanish subjects. It invoked, moreover, an old regulation of 1581, ordering special watch to be kept on them, so that what they did in private as well as in public might be known, full reports being sent to the Suprema. In 1620, it revived another instruction of 1581, forbidding the foreigners in the seaports to keep inns or lodging houses, whether any trouble arose from these arbitrary constructions of international compacts does not appear, but at least they manifested a desire to render the position of foreign heretics as precarious and uncomfortable as possible. End of section 54